Amen. Oh, check this out, Joey. Are you ready for this one? All right, one day this guy, his name was Bubba. Now, how many guys know that when you say Bubba in a joke, it's a joke? Okay, good. Anybody hear name Bubba? Praise. Are you serious? All right, never mind. Just don't listen. All right, anyway. So one of the, a guy, this name Bubba, not that guy over there, uh, he was bragging to his boss. And he says, you know, boss, I know everybody there is to know. Okay, you just name someone, anyone, I know them. And so sick and tired of his boasting, his boss called his bluff. He says, okay, fine. All right, Bubba, how about Tom Cruise? And he says, yeah, yeah, sure, Tom. Tom and I are old friends. In fact, I can prove it. So Bubba and his boss, they fly out to Hollywood and they knock on Tom Cruise's door there. And, and sure enough, Tom Cruise, he shouts, hey, Bubba, great to see you. Uh, you and your friend, come on in, join, join me for lunch there. Well, his boss obviously was impressed, but he was still skeptical. And, and so after they left Tom Cruise's house, he, he tells Bubba, he thinks that Bubba just knowing Cruise was, you know, just coincidence or something. And Bubba says, no, 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 I'm telling you, name anybody else. And so his boss says, okay, President Obama. And he says, yeah, yeah I know the president. Uh, and so they fly out to Washington and off they go. And so they're at the White House and Obama spots Bubba on the tour there. And he motions him and his boss uh, over saying, hey, Bubba, Bubba, what a surprise. He said, I was just on my way to a meeting, uh, but you and your friend, come on in and let's have a cup of coffee and, and catch up. Well, his boss is, he's pretty shaken by now, and he, but he's still not totally convinced. And so after they leave the White House grounds there, he, he expresses his doubts to Bubba, who again implores him, just name somebody else. And so his boss goes this, okay, fine, the Pope. And so Bubba says, sure, yeah, my folks are from Europe. I've known the Pope for a long time. And so they fly off to Rome, and, and Bubba and his boss are assembled with the, uh, uh, the masses there at the Vatican Square, and Bubba says... This is never going to work, okay? I, I can't catch the Pope's eye uh, being out here among all these people. I'll tell you what. I know all the guards, so let me just go upstairs real quick. I'm going to come out on the balcony with the Pope. And, and, and so Bubba, he disappears into the crowd, and he's heading towards the Vatican there. And, and so sure enough, I kid you not, about a half hour later, Bubba emerges with the Pope on the balcony, okay? But by the time Bubba returns, he finds, listen, that his boss had a heart attack, and he's surrounded by all these paramedics there. And while working his way to his boss's side, Bubba asks him, he says, boss, boss, what happened? And his boss looks up and he says, I, I, I was doing fine until you and the Pope came out on the balcony. And then the man next to me said, who's that on the balcony with Bubba? <laughs> you know, sometimes you just got to learn things the hard way. You know what I'm saying? Somebody tells you something, you're skeptical, you just don't do it. You know, you got to learn things the hard way, I think, is with the lesson there with Bubba's boss, apparently. But, uh, but folks, believe it or not, did you know I've seen Christians do the same thing all the time? Okay? We seem to have the same trend going on. We seem to have to learn things the hard way. We don't take God's word for it. It's not just in our employer-employee relationship. It's in our relationship with God. Did you know that God says this amazing news? He says, if you draw near to Him, God, He'll draw near to us. Isn't that awesome? But no, we seem to have to learn things the hard way. We can't take his word for it. We actually get to the point, believe it or not, Christian, that we act like spending time with God is going to give us a heart attack. Can you believe that? It's crazy. And again, folks, as we've been seeing, that's the obvious question. How in the world did it get this way? How did it become something detrimental to spend time with God who just happens to be the creator of the universe? That's exciting. And you put it in this context, I mean, it didn't start off that way, did it, as a Christian? I would assume not, I hope not. I mean, when we first got saved, we, we couldn't wait to spend time with God. We, we longed for God. We loved God. 
And see, that's the issue, isn't it? What in the world happened? How did it get that way? Well, folks, we've been seeing in our study of the last several weeks, it's simply what I've learned in life, in Christian life, it's simply this. When we lose sight of what we really do have in Jesus Christ, what he died on the cross for, and that's a beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with the creator of the universe. Okay, that's what he died on the cross for. And once we lose sight of that, folks, just like that overnight, it doesn't take a week or a month or a year. You just turn your once vibrant, beautiful, awesome, exciting walk with Jesus into that dry, stale, goofball disease called churchianity. You ever been there? You ever see that? Yeah, unfortunately, it's infecting the American church. Okay, and therefore, to stave off this deadly disease called churchianity here at Sunrise, one last time, we're going to continue in our study called Renewing Your Faith. One last time, turn to somebody and say, hey, it's time to renew your faith. Okay? And what we're going to do is, uh, one more time, take a look at the so-called basics of Christianity, except what we're doing, the theme is, we're looking at it through a renewed set of eyes. And that is the eyes of a relationship. Why? Well, thanks for asking, Robert. Works well with my nose. Because that's what we got with God, right? Hello, we say it all the time. Well, hey, don't call Christianity a religion. It's a relationship. But how do we treat it? We treat it like it's a religion, okay? And we saw that first basic thing we need to get reacquainted with is a renewed prayer life. The second thing we saw was a renewed worship. The third thing was a renewed service. The fourth thing, for those of you hooked on proper counting, uh, is a renewed Bible study. Uh, then we even saw the fifth one was a renewed sense of fellowship. Okay, and then last time for you here, we saw the sixth thing. We began the first part was a renewed what? Witness. And there we only got as far as answering the question, hopefully, why do we witness? And there we saw, hopefully it's not that hard to figure out, because hello, that's God's way of getting people out of hell. <laughs> hello? How are they going to know unless somebody says something, okay? And this isn't horrible news. This is great news. This is the greatest news of all time. There's nothing to be ashamed about sharing this message. It's, it's, it's the news that mankind can be reconciled, to, as Tom said, no matter what you've done. Through Jesus Christ, you can have not just some, but all your sins forgiven forever. Why? So that not just when you get into heaven, but right here, right now, God will give you a beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with the creator of the universe. It starts the moment you get saved. Isn't that mind-blowing? There's nothing shameful about that. That's what you do when you witness. That's why we do it. Okay? The second basic question we need to ask ourselves is this. All right, well, then what is it? What is it? Well, I see why. It's pretty obvious. So people don't have to go to hell. That's good. Okay? Uh, but what is it? Well, once again, folks, if you're not suffering from churchianity, I think it makes perfect sense. But again, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to Jesus. We're going to go back to another passage this week. We did it last week with Matthew 28. We're going to go look at now in Acts chapter 1. We're going to take a look at another passage of Jesus' last words to his disciples before he leaves the earth, okay? And I think he's going to tell us what witnessing uh, is all about. Let's take a look there at Acts chapter 1. If you find the book of Acts, what do you do? Moo is a good starting point. Thank you, Joey. Uh, turn to chapter 1. We're going to read verses 6 through 9 in the context here. And again, this is Jesus' words before he goes to the right hand to the Father to his disciples, Okay? And here's what he says, verse 6, Acts 1, and it says this. So when they met together, they asked him, okay, the disciples to Jesus, they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, hey, listen, it's not, the, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Okay, we don't know the exact day nor hour. Don't get hung up on that. Now, he does give us replete information that you don't want us getting close. Okay, but the exact day or hour, that, that's not your focus, okay? He says, but here's what you need to focus on. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you so you can roll around the floor and freak people out. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation. That's not why he's giving us power. Okay, it's not about you. It's not about a personal show. 
Okay, he's empowering you for something. He says this, he says he, uh, in verse uh, uh, 6 there, and he says, as he continues on in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will what? Why am I empowering you? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in where? All Judea and Samaria, even, get this, beyond the four walls here, to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before the very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Okay, and again, this is kind of like a parallel passage that we saw last week with the Great Commission uh, last week in Matthew 28. And Jesus said here, once again, right before he leaves the planet, again, his last words, all of Jesus' words are important, but certainly a person's last words should carry some serious weight. Okay, and that's what he says here. It's very important. He says, listen, he didn't say uh, you might want to seriously think about the possibility of being my witnesses. He didn't say that there. He didn't say that you really need to consider the possibility of launching at least one committee to help discover how to be a powerful witness. He didn't say there, Tom, believe it or not, even in the hidden Southern Greek, uh, he didn't say you need to leave that witnessing stuff up to other folks who like to do it, but not you. What did he say? What did he say the whole reason why I'm going to empower you specifically with the Holy Spirit? Why am I doing this? You will be my witnesses. He said, you will do it, and I'm going to empower you to do it, okay? While he's at that right hand of the Father, he's going to empower us to be his witnesses. Listen, it's a command, it's not a suggestion. You will be my witnesses. So here's the point. I mean, surely we know that as Christians, right? Every Christian that's ever lived knows that, listen, Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, has empowered us specifically and ordered us specifically to be a witness for him, right? Wrong answer. Joey had to do it one more time. I'm sorry, buddy. You got the wrong answer. Folks, let's be honest. When it comes to witnessing, we almost like we like we have to have our arms twisted. We almost got to like have our teeth pulled. We got we, we we act like somehow we're being tortured. Okay. In other words, sometimes it's like we have to be seriously motivated before we even think that we're going to witness to somebody. It's almost like we need to hire this guy and help us out. Let's take a look at his new motivational technique to get us to witness. Let's see if it'll work here. Let's take a look. Here at the National Institute for Student Ministries, we've discovered a new method of evangelism that is shaking the very foundation of our thinking. It may appear unorthodox, but frankly, we're shocked with the results. We're amazed at this revolutionary idea especially designed to boost student evangelism. Why did I want to be the evangelism linebacker? Well, let me put it to you like this. Yeah, baby! Next time I'm going to hit you so hard, you're going to go into flight. NASA's going to think I didn't launch a satellite. You see, as a fish was created to swim in water, as a bird was created to fly, I was created to knock people out who don't evangelize. The evangelism linebacker deals directly with a variety of students' fears associated with sharing their faith. All right, it's all you. This house has got your name on it. I'm not ready yet. What makes you think I'm ready, though? Fear of rejection, for example. Let me talk to you about fear. Fourth and one, Jerry Rice, what you gonna do? That don't compare to fourth and one in eternity. It doesn't matter who rejects us because we're always accepted by Christ. God loves you. Get off the flow and go door to door. Can we talk to you for a minute? I'm a lover, not a fighter, baby. He loves you, but... It might hurt. Sometimes I'll blow you up, but it's because I love you. Yeah, but just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I need to be out sharing my faith. I mean, ah! don't you run from me! 
escape my grasp? D-Gray will throw you in the trash! Thanks to the evangelism linebacker, campus evangelism nationwide is up 87%. Ah, thank you, Mr. Gray. I'll never do it again! Hey, I can't go to the outreach today. I got, I just got some more important things I gotta do. Uh-huh. Hey, man, give me a break. I went to church on Sunday. I gotta go. Selfishness! The world needs a message! For God to love the world, he wants to communicate it through you! If you procrastinate, you will open up the gate to a beatdown! Give me that phone, boy! When I see selfishness, it is my job to blow them up. That's what I do. I blow them up so that they can get their eyes off of self and look at Christ, the prize. What's up, baby girl? Nah, I'm busy. You see, I think it's fitting because when people have pride, that they're too prideful to share their faith, what I do is I knocks the pride out of them. What I would like to communicate to my brothers and sisters is this. When you least expect it, around the corner, perhaps even under your bed, I can be in a phone wire. I can be everywhere and just know that I'm always watching. Ready to lay the boom on you, baby. Booyah! Ouch. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, folks, that video would be funny if what? It weren't so true. Now, in all re- uh, reality, folks, if there really was an evangelism linebacker here at Sunrise, okay, uh, what would he do with this today? Okay, corporately, even individually, okay? Based on your own current evangelism track record, would he give you a high five or would he blow you up? Booyah, right? What would he do, okay? Because every day we have an opportunity to do that. And folks, I think the reason why, half the reason why, is we don't do it and we need some serious motivation with all kidding aside, okay, uh, is because we don't consider it a privilege, okay? And we don't acknowledge that Jesus said, this is not a suggestion, we just saw, he said, it's an order, in fact, he even said, don't worry, though, okay, listen, I'm not going to leave you hanging high and dry. I'm not just going to say, do it. I'm going to give you the power to do it. And we forget that. And I think we also forget what the word witnessing itself even means. It's from the Greek word martyreo. And listen to this. It simply means this, to beseech with great intensity or feeling. In other words, you're passionate about it. To beseech with great intensity or feeling what one has seen, heard, or experienced. That's all witnessing is, folks. To put it in simpler terms, Chrome translation, in the context of our study, a relationship. Listen, witnessing is, listen, simply passionately sharing with others what's totally dear to your heart. And in the context, it's Jesus Christ that is dear to your heart. That's all it is. That's all witnessing is, folks. Nothing to be freaked about. You don't have to have that kind of motivation. You're just passionately sharing what's dear to your heart with other people. Jesus Christ. That's it. And yet, here's the irony, okay? It's not that we don't witness. I mean, stop to think about this. We're passionately sharing something that is totally dear to our heart. That's the definition of witnessing. Listen, it's not that we don't witness. We do, if you think about it. We witness all the time. It's just we spend our time witnessing passionately about all the wrong stuff. Let me give you some examples. We witness about politics, right? I've got this shit. It's passionate. You've got... I will risk a relationship. We know it's going to start an argument, but we'll still do it because I've got to witness about what's witnessing, passionately sharing what's dear to your heart. We witness all the time about politics. We witness about uh, the weather. We witness about sports. We witness uh, about our families. We witness about anything and everything just as long as it's not that Jesus Christ stuff. 
And folks, I'm telling you, you can like it, lump it, leave it or not, deny it all you want. But if you're suffering right now as a born-again Christian with that attitude, you're suffering from churchianity. You've got the disease. Okay? And the first side effect of that disease is you start to talk yourself out of it. You develop that attitude because, listen, you all of a sudden think that, well, I have to remember everything. <laughs> what if they ask me about Noah's dog's favorite brand of ice cream? I don't know that answer. <laughs> first of all, I don't know that he had a dog. Second of all, did you guys know that ice cream doesn't keep well in the desert? Okay. <laughs> but you don't have to remember everything, but that's what we say. Oh, no, what if they ask me the question? Oh. Right? But that's not what we just saw in our text. Jesus did not, did not say, and you will be my witnesses in all the world only after you've memorized the whole Bible from cover to cover. He didn't say that. Okay? He didn't even mention the Bible, per se. He just simply said, you will be my witnesses, but don't worry, I'm going to empower you to do it, so just do it. Okay? But let's be honest, this is our attitude. We act like we've got to memorize the whole Bible just in case somebody somewhere might somehow ask us some question that we may not know the sufficient answer, so I'm not going to do it anymore. That's not what he said. Okay? He just simply said, share. Just share what you do know. And if all you knew was one day I wasn't a Christian and my life was a horrid, wretched mess and there was an emptiness and a hole in my heart, the next thing I knew, I specifically called upon the name of Jesus Christ, asked him to forgive me my sins. Bang, you talk about a difference. I've got joy, I've got peace, it's exciting. If that's all you knew, guess what? That's enough. And, and think about it. If you, if you apply this same kind of faulty logic to another scenario, it gets kind of goofy and dangerous. Pay attention to this. As if we had need to know everything before we take action. If somebody were drowning and they're about to go under, listen, would we wait until we knew the exact temperature of the water and the precise angle in which we should dive in for maximum reach potential before we even entered the water? Would we do that? It or, or, I know. Maybe we would send out a surveyor because maybe we're reading the instruments wrong and we need a professional We'd send out a uh, surveyor to accurately measure the distance with a laser uh, device uh, between us and them to determine the best possible rate of speed in which we should paddle towards them. No, I know, I know. Maybe we should establish a committee to figure out the five most effective programs that are specifically designed for saving a drowning person and then we would decide and we have to decide in 100% full agreement, then we're going to take action. Now, in all seriousness, if we literally did that, towards rescuing a drowning person, what would happen to that person? Turn to somebody and say, glub, glub. <laughs> what? There's, the person would die a long time, right? And folks, it's the same thing, okay? Uh, here's the point. How foolish then is it when we apply the same faulty logic to the people around us? Listen, the Bible says they are drowning. They're drowning in the depths of sin. And unless we, Christian. Tell them about Jesus and extend our hand to them, they're going to perish. All right? You just share what you know. Extend a hand. Open the mouth. Say something. It beats nothing. Right? You don't have to worry about knowing everything. Because can I tell you something? You never will. Just share what you do know. Okay? The second side effect of, uh, of this uh, horrible church and stuff is we think we have to start worrying now about rejection. <laughs> me it's over with man they were gonna reject excuse me that's not to be our concern this is exactly what the apostle paul went through acts chapter 17 this is a great passage verse 16 through 20 and 32 through 34 while paul was waiting for them in athens okay so he's waiting for the other guys to show up so he was just sitting there uh just twiddling his fingers no wherever you are evangelize share 
be responsible with the opportunity God gives you. All right. He says this. He was greatly distressed to see uh, that the city was uh, full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace uh, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. And some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Okay. Uh, others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Well, they said this because Paul was preaching what? The good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. Well, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them, what? Sneer, <laughs> come on, you kidding me. But others said, you know what? We, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council, but here's the good news. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So some folks got saved. And this is a fantastic passage to keep in mind. Paul, when he was in Athens, when he was waiting around for the other guys to show up, notice he was motivated. Notice he was what? He was witnessing. Just, here I am. There's people who don't know Jesus. I'm going to witness. Right? He didn't wait for other people to show up. He just got busy with the opportunity. Number two, he wasn't concerned about what the people said. He wasn't concerned. Are oh, they going to reject me? What? He just saw the opportunity and took it. Common sense, right? Why? Because he knew, I think, what we've forgotten. Did you know that every time you share the gospel, not if, but when, you're always going to get one of those three responses. Every single, you just do it. You don't worry about rejection. Some people are going to accept it. You saw that. Some people are going to reject it. Ha, ha, ha. They sneered at him. And some people are going, to, are going to say, you know what? Come back later. Let's talk about this again. Right? He wasn't worried about rejection. That's not where your focus is. You just make the most of the opportunity. Leave the results with God. They're going to accept it, reject it, or tell you to come back later. Okay? And that's what he did. Nothing more, nothing less. You don't have to be consumed about that. Okay? The third side effect is we think we have to worry about the results. Okay? You don't worry about how to remember everything. You can't. You don't have to worry about rejection. That's not your focus. But here, we go to the other end of the spectrum. And instead of being freaked out and bummed out about having to remember everything, or even, oh no, we might experience rejection, uh, so we don't witness, we finally do get around to witnessing. We finally get around. This is the other end of the spectrum. And then we shoot ourselves in the foot if we don't get these big, massive results right off the spot every single time, i.e. they don't get saved right then and there. And they say, well, well I, I'm no good at this. I can't do this because they didn't get saved. No, 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 no. You're not the one. I'm not the one who does the saving. Only God can give the increase. And this is clearly what Paul was trying to encourage us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 8. He says, first of all, hey, listen, what after all is Apollos? Okay, and what is Paul? They're only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each to his task. Okay, he says, yeah, Paul, I planted the seed. Yeah, Apollos, he came later after me. He watered it, but who makes it grow? God, God makes it grow. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. And this is the passage, folks. I'm telling you, if you get this one, it's going to take the monkey off your back. Okay, this is, this is huge. The, the, the Bible says, listen, we need to remind ourselves, listen, that when we witness, it's not us who does the saving, it's God. Right? You just need to understand, sometimes you're the first, if you will, Christian on the scene. I don't know the heart. You don't know the heart. God does. But sometimes, maybe you're actually the first person to tell them about Jesus. You got to plan. 
Sometimes you witness and share with somebody and uh, you uh, weren't the first one, but guess what? You get to water the deal. But the point Paul says is, listen, only God can give the increase, right? Only God can give the increase. And so here's the point. We don't need to get hung up on results because God is the only one who can cause that to grow. Let me give you an analogy. If I was a newspaper boy and it was my job to simply deliver the news, that's right, news, newspaper boy, that's why they call them that. Okay, and so, but all of a sudden, I come up to you, and I am so freaked out, I am worried, I'm bummed out, and I'm sitting here, that's it, I quit, I'm never going to deliver the newspaper ever again, I, this, is, this is horrid, my life is ruined. And you say, well, what, what's the big deal, what, what's, what's going on? Okay, well, I, I, I went back to the neighborhood, after I was sharing the newspaper, chucking them on their front porch, you know, like I'm supposed to do. But I went back, and did you know, this guy over here, he didn't even touch the newspaper. <laughs> And did you know this person over here is still in their bushes two days later? And did you know this one person even let rain get on it? (laughs) I quit. Now, if a newspaper delivery boy really had that attitude and says, I quit, I'm not good at this, or I shouldn't do this anymore, leave it up for... What would you say? Dude, you're missing the whole point, right? Your job is simply to deliver the newspaper, what people do with it on their front porch, that's out of your hands. The very fact that you got to even chuck a newspaper out there, mission accomplished. That's what Paul's saying. What are you so worried about? If somebody doesn't get saved right on the spot, you're missing the point. The fact that you had an opportunity to chuck the good news, mission accomplished. Yeah. You should be excited. Don't get hung up on they didn't get saved on the spot. That's not our job. And did you know that God can save us in spite of us? You know, he can save other people in spite of us too. Okay, did you know that? Because we'll get there, well, well, I think I messed it up. You know, I should have said this, or I should have said that, or I didn't say that, or this. No, they didn't get saved. I'm in ruin. We start kicking ourselves. That's, That's not your job. Okay? God can save us. He can save other people in spite of us. We just simply share the newspaper when we can, and what they do with it, that's between them and God. Okay, that's all witnessing is, folks. We're just simply passionately sharing jesus christ with other people we're not worried about having to remember everything because we can't you just share what you know we're not worried about rejection because you're either going to accept it reject it or tell you to come back later and number three we're not worried about results because listen we can't make it grow the fact that we had an opportunity to share praise god we should be skipping out of there full of joy that god could even use us amen okay that's how what we, uh, why we witness and what witnessing is. Now let's take a look at how do we witness. Okay, let's break it down. How do we actually do that? Well, again, if you look at it through the eyes of a relationship, I think it's pretty simple. In fact, I, th- I think it's really simple. And this is actually what Andrew did. Let's take a look about this. Believe it or not, did you know he did this without taking a class? Did you know that? Well, watch, watch what happens here. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 35 through 42. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the d- two disciples heard him say this, they what? They followed Jesus. Now, turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, well, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, uh, where are you staying? And he says, come on, he replied, uh, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two that heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So what happened? The what? 
first thing he did was enrolled in this class, bought 1,900 books, uh, and for at least a good next five years, he tried to memorize the Bible, and he took a secular psychology classes on how to effectively deal with rejection, and then he got busy witnessing. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the first thing he did was what? Go find his brother. Simon. This is how Peter got saved, you know. A family member witnessed to him. He went and found his brother Simon, and he what? He told him. What did he tell him? Jesus. That's it. I got a relationship with Jesus. You can too. We have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And what? He brought him to Jesus. That's all he's doing. That's how you witness. You bring people to Jesus. Andrew was given the opportunity to not just follow Jesus. The first thing he did after he started following Jesus, he was so impacted by Jesus, he naturally just went to somebody, anybody, certainly his family, and he told him about Jesus. That's all you're doing. You're just telling about Jesus. You don't worry about remembering everything about rejection or what has happened. He didn't freak out. He didn't take class. He didn't do anything. Because he loved his brother, he didn't want him to miss out on knowing Jesus. And that's all he's doing. Okay, that's it. That's how you witness. It's not that complicated. We make it complicated. We make it convoluted, okay? And again, when you look at this through the eyes of a relationship, it makes total perfect sense. This is easy stuff. Okay, the first way we do not witness is with this attitude of procrastination. Okay, and to help us illustrate the foolishness of doing this in our relationship with God and other people, uh, we are going to need the help of Mario and Janet. Come on down. They're going to help us one last time as we take a look at there at this exciting illustration. And uh, what we're going to do is uh, Mario is going to be confronted by his brand new wife, Janet. If you want to sound like fancy living, you say Jeanette. What do you think? Yeah, skip that and you'll be doing much better than I. But anyway, so he's going to be confronted by Janet here with this attitude of procrastination about telling other people about their brand new relationship, their marriage, right? Okay, and you tell me how well it goes uh, with her. Let's, let's, let's take a look here. Oh, hey, Mario. It's so great to see you again. Man, it seems like forever since we last talked. I'm just so excited about our new marriage. In fact, I'm so excited that I've been telling everyone I know about you and me and just how excited I am about the whole thing. How about you? What have people been saying? Are they happy for us too? Oh, yeah. Uh, telling other people about us. Well, you see, I was planning on doing it eventually. I mean, I really was, but you see, I just ran out of time. You know, I mean, with, with work and the internship, I just have a lot, a lot of things going on right now. Maybe after the holidays or New Year's or... No, 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 hang on. I'll tell you what. Come this spring when things really start to slow down finally, I'll be sure to at least tell one person, somebody somewhere about you and me. You understand, right, Janet? Excuse me? You don't have time to tell other people about me? How much time does that take? You just say, hey, I'm married to Janet now. What's the big deal? What was that, two seconds? And speaking of work and internship, hello, the people are right there. Just open your mouth. That doesn't take much time. And speaking of which, you take the time to talk to them about sports every day and weather every day and all kinds of things every single day. Why can't you take the time to talk to them about me? Mario, are you ashamed of us? What kind of husband are you anyway? Thanks a lot, Mario. Oh, wow. Did you guys notice how far back he was? But anyway, that's right. <laughs> now, how many guys would say Mario's already headed for the doghouse? You know what I'm saying? His new marriage there. I mean, he doesn't have time to talk about his new wife, but he can talk up a storm about anything and everything else every single day to the people around him and then talk about insulting. He wants to put it off to some future date when life slows down, which, by the way, never does, okay, before he gets around to it. 
Why do we do that in a relationship with God? Then? As goopy as that is, that's got to be even worse. We don't have the time to speak about Jesus. Or we can talk about sports, weather, finances, politics, news, whatever. Just as long as it's not Jesus. And then we throw out the same thing as Christians, don't we? Well, you know, when life slows down, this mystical, magical day, when somehow some there, and it never happens, and it never arrives, and we never do. And he's watching this whole thing. The second way we do not witness uh, is this. We don't have this attitude of over-preparation, okay? So once again, what if Mario had this attitude in sharing his new marriage with uh, uh, Janet here with this attitude of over-preparation? Let's see how it goes. Oh, hey, Mario. It's so great to see you again. Man, it seems like forever since we last talked. I'm just so excited about our new marriage. In fact, I'm so excited that I've been telling everyone I know about you and me and just how excited I am about the whole thing. How about you? What have you been saying? Are they happy for us, too? Oh, yeah, telling other people about us. Well, you see, I'd like to, but I'm not sure how. I just don't know what to say. What do you mean you don't know what to say? How hard is it to say, hey, I'm married to Janet now? What's the big deal with that? Well, true, but I don't want to mess things up either. I mean, what, what if they start asking me questions about your family history or about your favorite color, and I don't know the answer to it? I mean, I just don't know if I can handle the embarrassment. First of all, my favorite color is yellow. Embarrassment? What are you talking about? You just explained that we're newlyweds, and it's only natural that you don't know everything about me yet. That'll come in time, and you'll get back, in, you'll get back to them later on that. And besides, it's not the main thing you're trying to accomplish. You're just telling other people about me, not every single nook and cranny about my history. Well, that's true, Janet, but what if, what if I offend them? I mean, I don't, I don't want people to think that I'm some sort of Janet wacko and scare them off and lose our friendship. You know what I'm saying. Say what, a Janet wacko? What is wrong with you, Mario? What is so wacko about letting other people know you're married to me? Are you ashamed of us, Mario? What kind of husband are you anyway? Thanks a lot, Mario. Ooh, wow, man. Yikes. Woo. How many of you guys would say that Mario's heading on that same cruise that John and I were on a couple weeks ago? He's not looking good there, but wow. Saying you need to take a class on, hey, I'm married to Janet now, or... Or uh, uh, worse yet, you, you, you try to say that, hey, uh, uh, I, I don't want people to get you know, upset with me because they might think that I'm some sort of a, a Janet wacko or, and offend them. And He's, yeah, <laughs> dead ducko. Folks, do we not do the same thing when we know we're supposed to witness for God? Don't we, don't we say the same thing? Saying, well, I don't know how to witness. I don't want to mess it up. When I witness. How do you mess up the same phrase in this context? Hey, I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ now. You can have one too. How do you mess that up? Because that's all that we're doing. And you talk about an insult, saying if you, uh, we don't share, we might lose some friends because they might consider us one of those Jesus freaks. Well, excuse me, if you really love Jesus, you should be freaking out over it because there's nothing more exciting than that. Give me a break, right? But that's right. One more to go. The third way we do not witness is this attitude of deviation. Okay? And if Mario was going to do this with Janet, uh, let's see how this would go uh, with her. One last time, the Mario and Janet show, live from Vegas. Oh, hey, Mario. It's so great to see you again. Man, it seems like forever since we 
last talked. I'm just so excited about our new marriage. In fact, I'm so excited that I've been telling everyone I know about you and me and just how excited I am about the whole thing. How about you? What have people been saying? Are they happy for us too? Oh yeah, telling other people about us. Well, you see, I'd like to, but I, I think I need to take a class on it before I speak. I mean, maybe after an intensive 10 or 12 week training course on how to speak to other people about my wife, I may feel a little bit more comfortable. How does that sound? How does that sound? What are you talking about? You need a class, a training course to speak about me to other people? How much training do you need to say, hey, I'm married to Janet now? You don't need a class for that. Well, true, that does sound pretty simple. But to be honest with you, Janet, I just don't think I have the gift for that. I mean, maybe you should get somebody like Bobby or one of the other interns. <laughs> they seem to have a real knack for that kind of stuff. Surely they can do it. Maybe you should ask them. Plus, they hate chicken, so. Excuse me? You want me to get some other guy to tell other people about you and me? Are you nuts? It's our marriage. Why should somebody else announce it? And what's with the giftedness stuff? You don't have to have a gift to tell other people about me. How much giftedness does it take to say, hey, I'm married to Janet now. You don't need a gift for that, Mario. Just open your mouth. What's wrong with you? Are you ashamed of us? What kind of husband are you anyway? Thanks a lot, Mario. Good job. Awesome. Excellent there. Hey, I like that ad lib with the chicken, by the way. <laughs> Believe it or not, that was not in the script. But I like that. But, uh, wow, you need to take a class before you can say, hey, I'm married to Janet now. Or you just literally say that uh, I, I don't have the gift for that. And you actually try to pawn that announcement off to somebody else who's better at that than you. And yet that's your marriage, your responsibility, your wife, you know exactly where I'm going. How many times do you hear this from Christians? We need to witness. But you know what? I need to take a class on that. I need to go to that intensive seminar. You know, I need an evangelism linebacker. I need something. I need a... You don't need the class to simply say, I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you like to have a relationship too? You don't need a class for that. Okay? Is what's going on here, okay? We don't need a class for that. And you certainly don't pawn that responsibility with your relationship with Jesus off on somebody else. They're responsible for their relationship with Jesus and letting other people know. You don't sit there and say, well, leave that up to Bobby or Joey or some other guy who, you know, they're, they're more gifted. Excuse me? How many guys have the gift of lips? Right? In fact, let's try to exercise that fantastic gift that God's given every one of us. Let's, let's exercise that and say this. I'm in a relationship with Jesus. Try it. It's wonderful. You just did that without a class. Do you realize how much money you saved? You didn't have to buy a book. You didn't go to a seminar. Nothing. And yet we talk ourselves out of it. Folks, if we are going to get rid of this goofball, churchianity disease, I'm telling you, we've got to simply get back to what witnessing is according to the Bible. We're just passionately sharing what's dear to our heart, Jesus Christ. We're just like a Andrew, just like, hey, hey, I love Jesus. I got a relationship with him. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. This is awesome. And right now, before I even get to heaven, I, I got this intimate relationship with him. Don't you want that too? That's all we're doing. It's the good news, not the I'm ashamed of it news, or here's a ton of excuses news. It's the good news. And if we can get back to that, what an impact we can make just in this sanctuary today. 
here in Las Vegas and around the world. We're simply sharing the good news that our Heavenly Father, God, the creator of the universe, has loved His creation so much. And He so much wants to have a beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with His creation, mankind. That He allowed His own Son, Jesus Christ, to be crushed by the cross so that all of our sins could be forgiven and we could be rescued from doom, namely hell. There's nothing shameful about that. We've seen this before, but now one more time in this context of witnessing, this is all we're sharing. There's nothing ashamed about sharing this good news. This is what God the Father has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. We'll close in prayer after this.
That's what God has done for us. That's what He wants us to witness and tell other people about. His Son, Jesus, He allowed to be crushed on the cross so that we could arrive to heaven safely. There's nothing to be ashamed about that. That's why it's called the good news. Let's get busy sharing it. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God 
And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon, if you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now.
Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.